0: Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatives Podcast. I am your host and servant in Jesus Christ, Paladin Actual. Today I will be addressing the age-old question, Why are Christians so annoying? (laughs) Why are Christians so annoying? Now, I personally feel like I can speak authoritatively on this subject, as I am the most annoying person that I know. But Christians are annoying, and I would argue, actually, that this is a core part of the Christian life and faith, to be annoying. So let's get into it. Now, first, you may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not fair. I'm a Christian, and and I don't think I'm annoying. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I know a bunch of Christians, and they don't annoy me, and maybe just, they're, they're nice, they're not annoying at all. But I promise you, I promise you, no matter how likable you or any of these other Christians are, somewhere out there, someone goes to bed every night irritated that Christians even still exist. Here's the thing. Being annoying is a core part of Christianity. Christians are annoying to unbelievers in ways other religions aren't. Christians are annoying to each other and refuse to just put aside all of our differences in lieu of talking about them constantly. And most importantly of all, Christians are annoying to God. Not that he loves Christians any less for it, but our relationship to God is actually one in which we are supposed to be annoying in our prayer, constantly asking for things we don't deserve over and over and over, quoting God's word and promises back to him, saying, how long, oh Lord, how long, if he takes more than five seconds to do what he promised. Now, again, I would argue that this is ultimately a good thing. Ultimately, this is what the Christian life is about. It's not about going along to get along. It's not about fitting in with, you know, the rest of the world. It's not about leaving God alone because he's got more important things to work on. It's not about, let's ignore all of our differences with fellow Christians. It is... (laughs) <laughs> it is about being annoying to a, to a purpose, not for the sake of being annoying, but to a specific purpose. So, first of all, Christians being annoying to unbelievers. So, I'll talk about these three points. Christians being annoying to unbelievers, Christians being annoying to each other, and of course, Christians being annoying to God. Why well, These are all kind of good things. First of all, Christians being annoying to unbelievers. Now, anybody who's interacted with or kind of seen the, the, the disagreements between, let's say, atheists and Christians or atheists and other religions will notice something, that for some reason, for some reason, it seems that Christianity has caught the particular ire of atheists. You'll see more atheist polemics against Christianity than you will against Islam or Judaism or Hinduism or, you know, any other religion. For some reason it's Christianity that really irritates atheism. Now, I would argue that this is because Christianity alone is true, and there's an aspect of of the mind of the atheist that knows this and refuses to admit it. Now, of course, you know, maybe there's atheists out there that are completely convinced that Christianity is false, but for some reason, they can't even comprehend. For some reason, Christianity just kind of, it sticks out in a way that, that these other religions don't. So, Christians are annoying to atheists for a variety of reasons, and and these are some of the reasons that, came, that I came up with off the top of my head. I'm sure you can think of a few others. One of the reasons is we don't just quote-unquote trust the science. Now, whether this is talking about the obviousness of a godless universe, after all, you can't see, touch, or hear God, you know, with your own ears or whatever, therefore he must not exist, or it's this irritation that Christians don't just Trust the philosophers that there is no real meaning to life. Or or maybe life has meaning in that, you know, you live a good life when you feel fulfilled and when you help others, and you know, and that's the true meaning of Christmas is you know, getting along with others or whatever. You know, this this kind of vapid philosophy of 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 shallow, you know, thankfulness to nothing in particular, love for no reason in particular, this sort of thing, or, you know, hedonism uh maybe it's maybe it's the irritation of the annoying beliefs of Christians that reject um, that uh, they, re- they reject the scientific reality that miracles defy the laws of nature and therefore could not have happened. For example, God couldn't make the universe in six days because it's impossible. God couldn't flood the entire Earth, it's impossible. God couldn't part the Red Sea because it's impossible. He couldn't walk on water because it's impossible. He couldn't rise from the dead because it's impossible. Why do you Christians not just convert to atheism? Why are you so annoyingly clinging to your faith? Why are you doing it, Christians? So this is why, this is why I think atheists in many ways are annoyed with Christians. Now, Christianity isn't obviously the only religion that believes in, in the miraculous, I think we have the the best arguments for it. Uh, Islamic miracles are weird <laughs> and oftentimes not particularly convincing. Um, Christian miracles are—I I mean, they're they're. And I'm not talking about all these, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary appears in a in a slice of toast or something like that. But like actual miracles documented in the Bible and and stuff, they they have they have greater implications behind it. It's not just like God arbitrarily does a thing for no purpose, but usually God does a thing and it's miraculous and it serves an immediate purpose, like somebody is healed. But it also kind of has greater implications that tie with other texts, things like you know ears being opened by the gospel or something like that. A deaf man hearing, you know, f. A uh, be opened, that sort of thing. So there, there is <laughs> the Christian miracles are just better. Biblical miracles are just better. That's just kind of a fact, and I suppose this is one of the reasons that they stand out. Um, let's see, let's see. I've got some verses here, and in fact, I picked some verses for each of these topics. Now I've got some verses here, and these verses kind of explain the way that Christians are annoying to atheists. Christians are annoying to unbelievers. So the first verse I picked out is from 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That last part is the most difficult, I think. It's easy to, you know, tell people they're wrong. It's hard to do it with gentleness and respect. There is an expectation in Christianity, there is an expectation that's kind of written in the Bible, that you should be able to make a defense for your faith. Now, contrary to the caricature that atheism paints of Christianity, Christianity is not about blind faith and just stupid people accepting stupid doctrines. This is not the thing. That's not what Christianity is. It's not just, well, I woke up this morning and, you know, I don't have anything better to do with my my time. I'm just going to believe in, you know, a sky daddy, a flying spaghetti monster or whatever. And then I'm going to use God of the gaps to say that everything out there is, you know, I'm just going to explain it with God did it. You know, (laughs) this is this caricature of of atheism. And I think that they have to paint this caricature because they know it's not true. They know that Christianity is well-reasoned. I mean, how many thousands of years— and I mean, we can go back in the Old Testament as well. Um, but how many thousands of years have has it been? you know, people have been studying God's Word and talking about theology and dogma and doctrine and all these other things. Now yeah, there's there's a lot of incorrect answers that have that have uh, been arrived at by by Christian philosophers and Christian theologians, and there's disagreements among you know the Christian denominations and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is that Christianity is very much a cerebral religion. Now, faith is not an intellectual assent, it is not an intellectual accomplishment to have faith, but a Christian who has faith can study the doctrines of that faith, can argue about all kinds of things that aren't even explicitly written in the Bible. They can argue about the Trinity, they can argue about just war theory, they can argue about all kinds of concepts like the distinction between justification and sanctification, or Uh, transubstantiation versus consubstantiation versus the spiritual presence of God in the Eucharist versus the, uh, you know, the the capernetic eating of Christ. And, you know, all of these like really, really cerebral concepts can be argued about within Christianity from Scripture and from speculation, you know, from other sources as well. But Christianity is not a dumb religion followed by dumb people. Atheists like to portray Christianity as, well, this is just dumb people rolled out of the day excuse me, dumb people rolled out of the bed one day, and they said, hey, these illiterate Bronze Age farmers, goat herders or whatever, they came up with this whole God thing out of nowhere, and I am just so dumb that I'm going to believe it for no reason whatsoever. That is not Christianity. Christianity is cerebral. Christianity is about, yes, you have faith, but you should still study God's Word. There's not a Christian alive that should not be reading the Bible regularly or as regularly as they can. There is no Christian who has such a good grasp of God's Word that he shouldn't read it. Even Jesus, with a perfect understanding of all of Scripture, still read Scripture. I mean, granted, he did it often to teach. But the fact of the matter is that he quoted Scripture. It was important even to him. It was important to him to discuss these things. Even the apostles, as they were not necessarily infallible, would have disagreements about Scripture. The Jerusalem Council was the resolution of some of these disagreements about, you know, what what does God command? What is required of the believer? Christianity is very cerebral. It is the thinking man's religion. And that drives atheists up a wall. They are infuriated that so much brain power can be used on Christianity and used to great effect. They hate that. It is annoying to them that Christians claim to be smart and can be smart and can discuss smart things. (laughs) As far as they're concerned, religion is for dumb people and Christian religion should be no exception. How irritating it is that Christians study the Bible and Christians argue with atheists and have apologetics and debates and all these other things with atheists. How dare they? How annoying it is that this, that this religion exists and that these people, you know, actually engage their brains and their religion as much as, you know, their hearts and emotions and obviously all faith comes from Christ, comes from God. So this is why Christians are annoying to unbelievers, particularly the atheists. Now, to a degree, I think Christians are annoying also to, you know, the Jews and the Muslims and the, well, Hindus and the Buddhists and whatever. Any other religion that kind of sets up a a contrary belief system to Christianity, they will have, you know, there will be contests. You know, historically, there are plenty of writings from other religions and from Christians to towards other religions of 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 disagreement of how annoying it is these you know these christians uh, <laughs> you know in the bible uh, for example the one of the distinctions that's made between the followers of jesus and the followers of the uh, the traditions of the what what is it called there's a document that's this pharisaical traditions that they came up with, you know, how to wash their hands and stuff. These guys are irritated. They're like, Jesus, your disciples are not washing their hands in the right way. We have these traditions, tradition. We have these traditions and they're not following them. And then, you know, obviously Jesus talks about there and others, um, you know, you, <laughs> you you set up for yourself these doctrines of men to overrule God's word. Uh, and it is irritating to these unbelievers that God's people, that the followers of Christ, believe something different. It is inherently annoying that there are some people out there who believe the truth. It is annoying to unbelievers that believers exist. So, as much as... As sweet old Grandma Schmeck and Pepper will bake cookies for any, anybody who comes and visits her door, no matter what religion or creed, as much as you want to try to get along with, with all the other people, the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, somewhere out there, there is an atheist who is just riled up because you are a Christian. How dare you have faith? How dare you? Here's another verse that I have. It's 2 Peter verses or chapter 1, verse 16. says this: For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now, in insofar as Christianity is a cerebral religion, it's not just like meditations on philosophical concepts. It's based on actual history, things that actually happened. And this is what Peter is talking about here. Is that this isn't just you know, we came up with a, a system of utilitarian principles or whatever, and the golden rule and yada yada of, you know, how we can all get along. But this is, look, these teachings of Christ, all of these, you know, these these doctrines are based on historical realities. Uh, the example that I constantly use when I'm arguing with some people is Exodus 20, verse 11, is because the earth was made in six days, therefore we have this doctrine of we have a six-day work week in the sixth day of the Sabbath, and you're supposed to rest on that day. Or the seventh day, you're supposed to rest on on, on that day or whatever. You know, you've got this, because historical fact, therefore doctrine or practice, right? Because Christ has risen from the dead, our faith is not in vain. If Christ had not risen from the dead, our faith would be in vain and we should be pitied among all people. Anyways, so that is why Christians are annoying to unbelievers and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's kind of a good thing it's kind of a good thing that an atheist goes to bed at night thinking about Christianity and it just just steams his biscuits that Christianity uh you know how dare it exist and he's gonna maybe maybe he's gonna read the Bible and once and for all prove that Christianity is false and then God works through him and his reading of scripture and creates faith I mean that's a good thing for for atheists to just think about Christianity so frequently. I'm glad I'm glad that, that Christianity is so annoying that they can't just push it to the side and say, eh, some people believe dumb stuff. <laughs> some people believe in Bigfoot and flat earth and, you know, representative government. Meh. you know, push it to the side as if it doesn't matter. Um, but Christianity, they're like, ah, oh, there's something there, and I need to take it apart. <laughs> good, good. Bring it on. Come read scripture. Do it. All right. Second, Christians being annoying to other Christians. Now, this is where I absolutely shine. This is where I absolutely shine. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says this, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Um, This is another example that I'd like to get into is Acts 17 verses 10 through 11. This is Paul and Silas in Berea. It says this, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, Christianity is not a religion that, okay, now you're a Christian, now you're baptized, now you're a believer, so just kind of live out your life in, you know, placidity until you die. Christianity is a constant struggle it is a constant struggle. It is a chewing on God's Word daily, constantly, as much as you possibly can, chewing on God's Word to try to get as much nourishment as you can, as much truth as you can consume from God's Word, from an understanding of doctrine. I was talking with some friends on a, on a, on a Discord server, and we were talking about Um, you know, the distinctions between somebody becoming a Christian and then somebody becoming a a certain denomination or holding to a certain number of beliefs. And (laughs) I was saying, well, you know, becoming a Christian, that's justification, and becoming a Lutheran is sanctification, right? There's this idea where, yes— God raises you from spiritual death and makes you a Christian, but then once you are a Christian, there are expectations that you're going to continue to be in God's Word, steeped in God's Word, and this is going to affect your life. This is going to affect how you behave. This is going to affect your work, and this is going to affect your works, and this is also going to affect, you know, what you believe. So the Christian faith is not one where, okay, now that you're a believer, you never have to go back to church again, you never have to study God's Word again, you never have to ask any of these questions, but rather there is an expectation that you are going to be studying Scripture regularly. This this verse in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, um, We this was our, uh, we had different, I don't know, tribes in uh in chaplain school and ours our, our squad was basically our phrase was iron sharpens iron. And I loved it because we had all kinds of different denominations and, and a few different religions. We had a couple of Mormons. We had a couple of uh kind of word of faith heretic preachers. <laughs> we had a couple of like full gospel people. We had but the funniest thing was I was the only Lutheran there. Thanks be to God. Um, <laughs> and there was a handful, there was a couple of Roman Catholics and I, and I actually got along pretty well with the Roman Catholics uh, and the Mormons, surprisingly, but it was the reformed Calvinists. These guys would fight about every point of doctrine. God bless them for doing so. They would fight. I mean, we would have a five-minute break between classes, and they would pick a fight in the back of the room, and they would argue about predestination and, and Arminianism versus Calvinism and all these other things. And I could not get enough of it. I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. And yeah, you know, we, we fought, and it was annoying, and, you know, these annoying Lutherans and these annoying Calvinists believe these, you know, annoying doctrines, etc., but the fact of the matter is, that I think it was glorifying to God. We sharpened our iron on each other by saying, aha, aha, look, this is what Romans 9 says. Aha, but this is what all the rest of the book you know, of Romans says. Uh, so you can't take Romans 9 in isolation if you want to develop this doctrine of double predestination, etc., cetera, et cetera." And we would go into God's Word, and we would chew on this Word, and we would try to get every single ounce of nourishment out of God's Word that we could. And this was a good thing. It was annoying to each other. And in fact, it was annoying to many of the other uh, denominations because many of them didn't really have a particularly firm grasp on God's word. And it, I mean, tragically for some of these chaplains, they didn't really seem to care that much. They were, you know, oh, well, you know, we're all Christian. We all believe, you know, whatever. Let's not argue about differences. Well, not for these reformed, uh, not for these Calvinists, not for these, you know, these Lutherans. And again, there were others as well who would get into these, these tussles, but it was mostly, I'm blaming the Calvinists mostly for that. Um, it was it was. Who is some of us would be the annoying ones in class who would disagree about doctrine and who would disagree about doc- and would be happy to argue annoyingly about doctrine for hours and hours and get into God's word. and this was a good thing. And we as a result got better understandings of not just our own religion, our own denomination, our own reason for believing you know holding the faith that you know is within us, but also a better understanding of those other denominations. This is something that I do online. I used to think that I was was wasting time by, you know, saying, arguing with the the Roman Catholics on Christ Court all the time. Uh, I spent a lot of my time in seminary, my free time, arguing with Roman Catholics. And to this day, I argue with different denominations of people uh, online. And sometimes uh, the arguments are fruitless and, and, you know. But, you know, generally speaking, people tend to think that I'm, I'm fairly universally annoying. But! As a result of being able to argue with these different denominations I have a better and more robust understanding of Christianity and every bible study on Sunday I'm tempted to come in to bible study and say I was arguing with you know these people online about this verse in Genesis or I was arguing with these people about this verse in Acts or what you know baptism or, or 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 whatever and it's being annoying at, to other Christians being annoying to other Christians I mean this is this is kind of part and parcel with disagreement is, is fighting to come to the truth that is within Scripture— because not, God never gives us, you know, Christianity and says, okay, well, then don't worry about the details. But rather, he has given us such a robust collection, not just of of the writings of Scripture, but also the writings of those who study Scripture, the Church Fathers and commentaries and, and people like Martin Luther and, you know, all these other, you know, these theologians have these really interesting points to get into, right or wrong, uh, get into these wonderful points to learn more about God, more about our religion. So thanks be to God that we can be annoying to each other. Because the fact of the matter is, if you aren't annoying as a Christian, it it can make—I don't want to say it makes Christianity boring, but it is a lot more fascinating to argue with somebody who's just driving you up a wall about something you're passionate about. No, Double predestination is absolutely wrong because such and such and such and such. No, you should baptize babies because look at this verse and this verse and this verse. No, this is the body because, you know, hoc est corpus meum and, you know, and you really get into, it is so much easier to argue with an annoying person about scripture than somebody who says, well, you know, we just hold different opinions and I don't really want to discuss it. I'm not going to stand my ground on this issue. Iron never gets sharpened against iron and we don't really benefit from having that conversation. So I would again argue that there is an aspect of the Christian faith that it is good that we that we annoy each other that we annoy each other as Christians as different denominations and even within our own denomination. I'll give you one final example before I move on to the last point. This example comes from seminary, and I I, I would doubt. I mean, Professor Pless is not gonna is not gonna hear this. Let's let's be real here. <laughs> He's too busy uh, and this podcast is too obscure for him to ever listen to this, but I remember distinctly being at seminary and I was a dumb one at seminary. Uh, let's, let's put that out there real quick. I was the dumb one at seminary. Everybody else went to pre-seminary and they knew Greek and Latin and Hebrew and all these other things. And here I am fresh out of the Marine Corps. I had been training to be an interrogator for the CIA and I come out of the Marine Corps and I'm just like, I go to seminary and they were, you know, everyone's like, oh, Gerhard this and coin that. And all, you know, all these theologians, CFW Walther. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these dudes are. The the only theologians I know, aside from the ones in the Bible like Paul and Jesus, is like Martin Luther. That's basically it. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot of these concepts, I didn't really have a, 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 a particular. I don't think I had a really good grasp of them. So, for a lot of these people who went to pre seminary, a lot of the things that they were learning in seminary, you know, they they'd already taken these classes. They already knew the answers to the to the questions. They already knew the translations to the verses, et cetera. Now, for me, I I am all of this is fresh and new and exciting to me. And frustrating to me, because some of the stuff didn't make sense to me. And I remember distinctly, and it was a Friday, and I, I'll tell you why I knew it was a Friday. It was a Friday, and I'm sitting in class, and, and Professor Pless is teaching a class, and he's talking about kind of this distinction between you know this Calvinist uh, double pre- predestination and this explanation about the Lutheran understanding of, of predestination the calvinist understanding of predestination and i'm going to this is way oversimplification is basically god picks people before they're born god predestines people to either heaven or he predestines them to hell the lutheran understanding of predestination is that god predestines some to heaven this does not necessarily mean that he predestines others to hell now professor plus was teaching this he was doing an excellent job of teaching this and i was sitting in the back of the classroom Confused. I was thinking in my head. I was like, "Okay, well, if God predestines some to heaven, then then that must necessarily mean that he, you know, because he picks winners, he must therefore pick everybody else to be losers." And I I made this objection. I said, "Well, you know, Professor, pro, you know, Professor Pless, uh doesn't. I mean, functionally, it's the same thing." He says, "No." L- listen to this. And he kind of he went into the Bible verse and he kind of went into the explanation. you know, this predestination to heaven. And uh, again, I interrupted him in class. I said, "But no, but that's, that's functionally." That is the same thing as double predestination. It, I mean, it doesn't. it's not different. How is that different? And he explained it from a slightly different angle, and he was patient with me. And a, a third time, a third time I interrupted, and I said, but that doesn't make sense. And I was so annoyed. In hindsight, I look back at myself in seminary. I was particularly obnoxious and annoying. But this infuriated me. It didn't make any sense, and I needed to know what the answer was, and it was so annoying that he had this this calm demeanor, and he had this explanation, and I was not getting it. It was so annoying to me that I couldn't let it go. If it wasn't annoying to me, you know, I could have shrugged me like, okay, you know, whatever. This is what we believe as as Lutherans, and uh, I don't have to understand it. I just have to confess it, right? Okay, so the way I knew what day of the week this was was because it was Friday, and it was Friday, and on Friday we have Gamuklakite. Kite is this time where they open up the uh, they open up the taps, and you pay five dollars to rent a glass, and uh, and people sit around, and the professors sit around, and, and the students sit around, uh, and they discuss theology or whatever's going on in their life or or whatever. And it was always fun to kind of step into other people's conversations and uh, people who know more than I do, uh, and then I just kind of sit there sometimes is a fly in the wall so anyways i go out there to professor plass is, is is sitting down and he's got his he's got his i think it was scotch or brandy and he's got a cigar as, as he's one to do uh and i'm only about seven or eight beers in so i come out i'm pretty fresh come come out and i see him and i point to him and i say you i don't get this and i sat down and he and i hashed this out for two and a half hours going back and forth and i was I was furious. I was repeating the same thing. I was just, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. How is predestination different from double predestination? One, you know, implies the other. And eventually it clicked. It was this arguing back and forth and pestering him about the same question over over and over and over and over and over. And he was giving me similar answers from slightly different kind of ways of phrasing it and stuff like that. And it was just not getting through until it did. Until it got through one, just for whatever reason, it finally got through that God explains that those who are in heaven are predestined to salvation. It is monergistic that those who are in heaven are in heaven because of predestination, because of because of God. Everyone in heaven is in heaven 100% because of God. Everyone who is saved is saved 100% because of God. And everyone who is damned is damned 100% because of their own sinfulness, and somehow their own rejection of God. It's not God choosing to damn them, predestining them to damnation, but be, this is what Scripture says. It says, you know, it says that those who are in heaven are those who are saved, that's because of God, and those who are damned, that's because of them. And it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to fit together. We don't have to try to fill in the gaps and say, oh yeah, but it's, you know, logically, it would follow that this thing follows that thing. No. You just let God's word stand where it stands. You don't speak where God is silent. You don't try to reason out the unreasonableness of God. You don't do that. And this this peace that you know passes all understanding <laughs> washed washed over me when I realized this crux theologorum, this cross of the theologian that why are some saved and not others was you know this was connected to the the predestination that I didn't have to fully understand. I didn't have to rationally make sense. It just had to be true. It just had to be true. And what God said was true. And this is what God said. And this is not what God said. God did not say He breath, He predestines those to hell. And if you want to argue about Romans nine, I would I would go I would start with Romans one and go all the way through the whole book, uh, and, and show that Paul is giving a hypothetical, not saying this is how salvation works. that God predestines those to hell like a potter predestines clay for you know some purposes and not others. But I was annoying. And theology was annoying, and Professor Pless was annoying. God bless him. Professor Pless was annoying because he continued to hold on to this thing, which he clearly understood, and I clearly did not. And I was annoying to my fellow Christian, and my fellow Christian was annoying to me. And thanks be to God for that, because I was so passionate about this thing that I was able to resolve this concern. And had he not been annoying, and had I not been annoying, and had he not had the patience to continue to put up with my annoyingness, I never would have come to the truth of that doctrine. So being annoying as a Christian, being annoying to fellow Christians, is part of the Christian walk. We do have an obligation to struggle, to strive to find the truth. And this often means arguing with one another about points of doctrine. It's really easy to throw up your hands and say, well, you know, let's let our differences be differences. Let's agree to disagree. No, 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 no. Let's not agree to disagree. Let's agree to meet behind the school at 5 p.m. and sort this out, (laughs) you know. Let's agree to continue to argue about this until one of us or the other is convinced of the truth. Because the more time we spend in Scripture, the more time we spend arguing about this, the more time we spend learning about God, and that is time well spent. So again, all of that rant, that diatribe, I suppose, is to uh, to explain why I think it is, it is a good thing. It is a good thing that, you know, Christians can be annoying to each other. There, God does work through the annoyingness of Christians with each other. There is an aspect of disagreement that is annoying, but, uh, you know, God uses it to keep us engaged and to keep us passionate about these things. All right. <laughs> that was a lot. Let's Let's go on to the third and final point, and I would like to strut, uh, to emphasize that this is probably the most important point: this annoying God aspect. Christians are supposed to annoy God. Now, now we don't want that, right? We don't want God to be annoyed with us and angry with us, and you know. And well, here's the thing: is God doesn't cease to love people who are annoying to Him. <laughs> just think about how annoying the Israelites must have been all of these times where, where they disobeyed God. You know, like immediately after he saves them, they, they just go back. I mean, the entire book of Judges is, is all about the Israelites annoying God and them getting disciplined and brought back and et cetera. And he continues to love them and he continues to take care of them. Um, but, they, but they are annoying. Uh, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about in the sense of annoying to God is not being disobedient to God but annoying God in a way that he actually wants us to be annoying to him. So I'm going to give you two examples from uh, from uh, Luke's gospel account. The first example is from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. This is Jesus's, he, he tells these parables. So Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. And he said to them, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's parable number one. Parable number two is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith. Will he find faith on earth? Both of these characters, this this widow who pesters this unrighteous judge, and this man who pesters his friend, are annoying. And they receive responses because they are annoying. Now, our natural inclination with our interactions with others is we want to say, well, I don't want to bother them. They have too much on their plate. Uh, they're working on too much. They have too much going on. I don't want to bother them with my petty issues. Now, this can be frustrating for some Christians who actually, you know, they give me the opportunity to pray for you. Now, yes, it is possible for humans to be overwhelmed, to say, you know, I just have so many things going on. I can't I can't take on more responsibility. That being said, let that be the choice that the Christian can make, that the Don't, you know, don't deny another Christian the opportunity to pray for you. Don't say, I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to ask for somebody to pray for me because I don't want to be too annoying because they have so much going on. Don't (laughs) don't deprive your Christian brother or sister of the opportunity to love you. What's more, God does not run out of patience, does not run out of ability to, to, to care for people, to take care of people like humans do. Do not think for a second, oh, I'm annoying God. I don't want to bring this petty thing before him. He has bigger things to work on. God wants you to. He could not possibly have made it more clear. He wants you to come to him constantly, continually, not just for those big things, but in the Lord's Prayer, we pray for our daily bread. Imagine asking, being such a pest every day that you would ask your father for food. (laughs) <laughs> My kids do it all the time. <laughs> feed us, feed us. Oh, didn't I just feed you earlier today? Didn't I feed you yesterday? No, no, no. God is not. I mean, we may think of it as we're annoying God. We are being annoying to God. And again, based on these parables that he gives, that's kind of that's kind of the attitude of, of I'm just gonna keep doing it until until he responds. I'm gonna keep praying to God for this thing. I'm gonna keep praying for healing until he either heals me or takes me home. I'll get healing either way. I'm going to keep praying for God for, you know, for peace. I'm going to keep praying for God for, you know, a resolution to this conflict. Keep doing it. I mean, this is this is God's command. He wants you to be a pest. <laughs> he wants you to be a pest in prayer. There's this movie that I like. Um, I hate musicals because they're all terrible, with the exception of The Fiddler on the Roof. Now, in The Fiddler on the Roof, you've got this character, Rev Tevya, and I just, I mean, it's a fictional character, I know, but I admire his I admire I mean and he's not a Christian so he doesn't so he doesn't actually have <laughs> he's not actually connected to the true god but I admire the kind of relationship that is that is I don't know put on display uh, between him and god where he's in mid conversation he starts talking to himself and then he just kind of drifts into talking to prayer and you know you know god am i supposed to put up with this like as if god is standing right next to him as if god can hear him constantly everywhere always and and it's it's I, again, I know a fictional character of another religion, but I think that that's, that that's a good kind of thing to strive for in our relationship with God. It shouldn't just be, okay, well, I pray on Sundays, and I don't talk to God the rest of the week. But it should be, man, this this red light is taking too long. God, you know, you you are really giving me patience right now. There is, you know, there is, I don't want to say casual, but, but God is there for us and hears us. He hears us constantly. And we we should take advantage of that. I mean, imagine if you're driving in the car with somebody, you spend the entire time sitting next to them in the car, you don't want to say a word to them, even though they're right there the whole time. You're not developing your friendship or your relationship with them at, at all. Whereas if somebody's next to you, you know, and you're driving in the car and you're like, huh, cows. Oh, look at that. They painted the new building. Interesting. And you're just, I mean, even if it's these kind of casual things that you're saying, there is a relationship being built up. Now, obviously, you know, you should be having important conversations with God as well. But God does desire the sort of relationship where you come to him with big things and with small things. Now, there's other examples in the Bible. There's a couple other examples of things that we think would be annoying, and yet God desires them. Two of these examples, one of them is lamentation. Uh, and one of them, I forget what the term is, but it's basically it's 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 any time in the Bible where you say, "How long, O Lord?" You just Google, you know, Bible verse. How long, O Lord? I'm sure you're going to get a few examples. Really, how long, how long, O Lord, will you, you know, tarry in in your uh, in your justice? Or how long, O Lord, will we wait for deliverance? That sort of thing. Where if God has promised, God has promised, you know, He'll return and He'll wipe away every tear and He'll defeat death and all these other good things. He's promised these things and. It might, it might sound annoying to, to, to remind somebody of their promises, but this is actually something that God wants. He wants us to take his own words and pray them back to him. Now, imagine if you've got, you know, dad promises to take you to Disneyland or whatever. You're like, dad, you said you would take me to Disneyland. Dad, when are we going to go to Disneyland? Like, that sounds annoying, right? That sounds annoying to a human father, maybe, but not to God. He said, "God, you said that you would save us. God, you said that this is, you know, that this is a blessing that you would give us. God, you said that you would be be here with me. Um, you know, here, look at this this verse. This is what you said. It, it's good to quote God's words back to Him um, to 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 understand, you know, the, th- the promises of God, and say, look." I care about these words that you said. I remember them. They're important to you. They're important to me. Let's you know. Let's talk about these promises that you've made. The other example, I guess, would be kind of lamentation. Lamentation is different from whining. Lamentation is is you know is crying out in misery. This is miserable. It, it it's so horrible. But it's not just empty whining. It's it's horrible. But I trust you to make it better. I know you love me, and I know you have the capacity to make it better. And I trust that you'll do what's right. Lamentation again. I don't want to bother God with my problems, and I'm suffering, and all this. God doesn't want to hear me whining all the time. It's like, well, no, He kind of does want to hear you whining if the the reason you're whining is you're saying, look, God, you can fix this, and I am suffering. I'm in pain. I have a you know a hangnail or something like that, like it's small or big, or you know I have this serious illness. This this is something that that, that God wants. Again, we might look at it and say, look, these. If somebody did this to me, I would find it annoying, so I don't want to do it to God. That's not how it works. God wants you to lament to him. God wants you to quote his own promises back to him, his own word back to him. God wants you to pray to him for the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Not like, oh, God didn't respond. I guess I'll just give up asking. No, keep asking. Be a pest. Demand things. God, how long, oh Lord, will you tarry? (laughs) This This is a good relationship that you have with God. So with all of these things, I hope maybe I've convinced you that it's not such a bad thing that Christians are annoying. Christians are annoying to atheists and unbelievers because our religion is just true. Our religion is well thought out. Our religion is, again, it's, it's, it's true. It's frustrating to them, and hopefully this frustration causes them to look more deeply into the words of Scripture and realize as well that it's true. It's okay to be annoying to atheists. Christians are annoying to each other. Christians are annoying to each other because this is how we get excited about these important things, these important differences in doctrine, these important things that God has promised us that is written to us in his word. Christians are annoying to, others, to, to each other because, frankly, we care about each other. I don't want somebody else to have a false belief in Christianity. It shouldn't just be, well, let's just go along to get along. Yeah, there's brotherhood, but I'm still going to argue with my brother about, you know, important things that I think are important. You know, he's putting the wrong gas in his car or whatever. You know, he's still going to be able to drive his car, but man, you're ruining the engine. You know, (laughs) you should be changing your oil every 30,000 miles rather than every 50,000 or whatever. Like, there are some things that are worth arguing about because you care about the person, you care about the issue, even if it makes you annoying for having that argument in the first place. But that's kind of what it is to, you know, that's a loving relationship. This is, this will be a shocker if my kids ever hear this, but kids are annoying to their parents and parents still love them. And parents can be annoying to their kids. I don't want to go to bed. Too bad you're going to bed. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to eat broccoli. It's annoying that, that you know, we have to make them do things that are good for them. But, you know, that's part of loving them. You know, brothers and sisters are annoying to each other. Friends are annoying to each other. This is this is how a lot of us get along as we, you know, say annoying things and make annoying jokes and make annoying noises and stuff like that around, around other friends. So, it's not a bad thing that Christians are annoying to each other, as long as there's a purpose behind it. And finally, most importantly, Christians are to annoy God or do those things which God has commanded us to do, which we might think are annoying. Because from God's perspective, um, he doesn't run out of patience for those sorts of things. Quote God's own promises to him. Pray to God constantly, over and over and over and over again, for the same things. Ask God, how long, O Lord, will I wait? Tell God about whatever major or minor, you know, pain or problem you're going through. Do these things which you think might be annoying, but which God wants you to do. So why are Christians so annoying? Why are Christians so annoying? Because it's part of the faith, because it's part of love for one another, because it's part of love for God, and because God told us to be annoying. God commanded us to annoy him with our prayers, to, to annoy him with our complaints, to annoy each other with our, you know, with our with our love and our desire to find the truth. To even annoy atheists by being part of the world, or by being in the world, rather, and not part of the world, by standing out and just not complying with these things that say deny Christianity. So, it's not such a bad thing to be annoying. <laughs> I mean, for a purpose, I suppose. Don't just be annoying for the sake of being annoying. But why are Christians annoying? Love. because God told us to be. Anyways, I hope this was enjoyable or educational or something for you other than annoying. Uh, God bless you all and take care.